What a happy day it is. What a day of celebration. It's so good, too, for us to be reminded of some of the basic tenets of the Christian faith as we recite the Apostles' Creed most Sundays uh, at our church. And you will recall that one of the, uh, the, the, the notes in that creed is that on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And that, of course, is uh, what we're celebrating here today. And it's interesting, during the, the three-year ministry of Jesus amongst his disciples as he ministered all throughout Judea and Galilee, uh, he would make comments that that was going to happen, that he would be killed and that he would rise from the dead. Matthew 12 says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And his disciples said, Huh? <laughs> and then in John 2, he says, The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us that your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So it wasn't until this day that it all came together, and they had those aha moments led by Mary Magdalene. And that's what we're going to look at at John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, and John's, in particular, John's account of the resurrection story. And the reason why we want to do that is we want you to believe that he rose from the dead. Because, according to Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do just look to you and we just praise you for the, uh, for the wonder of the resurrection. How appropriate that it occurs in, in the spring where uh, the, the coldness and the darkness and the wetness of winter just gives new life to the time of spring, God. And here is uh, we've come today on this beautiful spring day just to praise the fact that we worship a risen Lord, that the tomb is empty that we are possessors of the Holy Spirit, that Scripture is true. And I pray, God, that you would just help our hearts to be warmed and our minds to be enlightened by your holy truth today. In Christ's name, amen. As we look at this passage, we're going to look at uh, two large components here, an almost empty tomb in verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to see uh, the arisen Lord in verses 11 through 18. So first of all, an almost uh, empty tomb. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. God says, and John writes, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen, linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, he saw and believed. 
For as yet they had not understood the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. What I want to do is kind of pull all the different uh, synoptic gospels, the three synoptic gospels together with the truths that we have here in the gospel of John and kind of give you something of an overview, uh, a picture of what happened on that first, uh, that first resurrection Sunday here. Uh, and that will kind of help us because they all had sort of a different approach. This gospel is, uh, is written by the one whom Jesus loved. The, you, can, you can just see the efforts that John goes to not to mention his own name uh, because he wants to be humble and he doesn't want to get credit. But it would have been simpler to read if he had just said me, John, had uh, done this. But the, uh, the, the, the traditional uh, uh, belief, and of course the evangelical belief is that John, of course, wrote this gospel. Uh, but Jesus rose on the, from the dead on the first day. What's the first day of the week? Well, that's Sunday. That's today. Uh, and uh, Revelation 1.10 calls this the Lord's Day. Uh, Pentecost also occurred on Sunday. So there was a great transition from Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, to Sunday, the Christian Lord's Day. The last day of the week gave over to worship on the first day of week. The Old Testament law was replaced by the New Covenant worship on Sunday. So, uh, so if you have talked to Seventh-day Adventists that insist that you're in sin because you worship on Sunday instead of Saturday, you just got to point to this example here in Scripture and the example of the early church. The early church shifted its focus of worship on Sunday. And you have this introduction here to the faithful women. We see that in particular they're highlighted in the, other, in the synoptic gospel accounts, but uh, Mary is, uh, is uh, kind of highlighted here. But the, the faithful women, they came together. They were concerned with the hasty preparations that occurred. They, they wanted to get Jesus' body on Friday into the ground quickly because the, the Sabbath was approaching where they couldn't do any work. Uh, and they were concerned. They loved Jesus. And out of respect, they wanted to give his body due honor. And they wanted to be able to do all the preparations that they would have done. But there were no funeral homes back then. Family did the preparations. So uh, they got up as soon as they possibly could, uh, and they went on their way towards uh, the tomb. But Mary Magdalene evidently got ahead of them and came early to the tomb. Uh, and, and it says here that while it was still dark, according to Matthew, an earthquake had occurred. And the earthquake occurred, it scared off the Roman soldiers, the, the, the tomb was opened. It was not opened, though, so that Jesus could get out. It was opened so that the disciples could get in. Jesus could pass through rocks, he could pass through walls, as he will prove when he appears to the disciples uh, somewhat uh, later on here. But Mary arrived, and, uh, and, and she looked in quickly into the tomb. The body wasn't there, and and. It did not occur to her that this was, aha, the resurrection that Jesus had been talking about the whole time. Jesus assumed it was stolen, that the Sanhedrin had taken away, that grave robbers had come in or whatever. You know, you fill in the blank. She couldn't figure it out, but she was just horrified that someone would do that to her Lord. So she immediately, probably before the other ladies get there, she cuts out to go tell Peter and John that they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Uh, and she left so quickly, she didn't actually see the angels that were there uh, at, the, at the time. Or they arrived maybe after Mary had gone. And of course, when she goes and reports this, typical male move, they didn't believe her. Oh, you hysterical woman. Y'all are so, if you could be more rational like us, you know, this is embarrassing every married man here. Uh, but they didn't believe her. They didn't believe what she was saying. She was probably hysterical and panicked and, and all that stuff, but she had seen what she had seen or she had not seen what she would hope to see. 
uh, and they didn't believe her. And yet they overcame their belief, and then uh, Peter and John, the other disciple, went out to the tomb. They, the, it says here the two were running together, and the other disciple, that is John, ran ahead faster than Peter. He was younger uh, than Peter, so maybe he could run faster. And then John was the first to look into the tomb, and he stu- it says stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Isn't it interesting how prominent the placement of those linen wrappings are to, to, to the conversion, in a sense, of the Apostle John and to the, the credibility of this story. Then the impetuous Peter, he just goes straight on in, uh, and uh, he saw some of the same kind of things here. But, the, uh, but this idea that the, 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 the body had been taken away uh, by the disciples, had been stolen, you see this in Matthew chapter 28, that was the number one theory that was going around Jerusalem after the resurrection. Uh, but one of the things that proves that that wasn't the case is those linen wrappings. That's why the author makes this point here. If you go back to, remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead? Remember what happened there? When Lazarus was raised uh, after three days of being in the tomb, and they were concerned that there would be a stench uh, involved and everything, and he comes out of the tomb. And remember what Jesus did? They said, help, unwrap him. I mean, he was literally kind of hopping out, wrapped tightly with those those linen garments. That's what they did. They didn't have coffins back then. They would take the linen garments, and they would would stick the spices, the, the, the solid spices, all throughout the garments in order to to, uh, to uh, keep the, idea, the, the smell of decay and that kind of thing away. So uh, that's what would have happened had Jesus just gotten up on his own. But he didn't. He, he came through the garments. He came through them, and this, they just laid back down there, and then that was convincing uh, to John here. Jesus had to uh, tell people to help Lazarus. There was no assistance that was made here. There was, there was an orderly Uh, an order to the grave clothes, and that had a huge impact on John. And notice this, it says, with this evidence, John saw and believed. He saw and believed. He was the first of the male disciples for the aha moment to go off. But evidently, Peter didn't believe yet. It said, Peter did not believe, for as yet they did not understand the Scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead, even though they had, for instance, Jesus' comments And Psalm 16, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you show your holy, allow your holy one to undergo decay. So the the big the big alternate history uh, line uh, to the actual resurrection was the disciples. Uh, stole the body of Jesus, which, of course, couldn't have been done. It was guarded, it was sealed, and they were all terrorized, thinking they were going to be arrested any moment. Let me give you some other incorrect theories, and you'll find these at your home, in your home groups. Uh, insert help that uh, might be of, of interest to you. Uh, other theories, uh, other than the theft theory that, sp- the, that, uh, that was spread by the Sanhedrin, other theories that have come up over the years, because people just simply don't want to believe in the resurrection. The fact that y'all were here today, you know, is foolish to so many people. How could a body be raised from the dead? So they've come up with some other theories. The other one, the other big one, is the swoon theory. You know that one, right? That Jesus didn't actually die, he just fainted. Because as everybody knows, it would be extremely com- uh, common for someone to not go without, to go without food and water for a number of days, to be crucified with his hands, to be lashed by a Roman uh, whip, 
uh, to be speared in the side, to be wrapped by people who know death bodies, to be viewed by and affirmed that they were dead by Romans who understood dead bodies, and then to throw in a tomb, and then for them to get up and move the rock by themselves out of the way when they're wrapped in grave clothes. Happened all the time, right? right? Never happened. Never happened. There's no swooning here. He's dead. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't faint. They would have recognized that. They would have, these, the Romans were ex, experts at creating dead bodies. They knew exactly what they were doing. And yet, that's one of the big theories. The other, one of the other ones is there was no burial at all theory, there, that Jesus was actually just thrown into a mass grave. Well, if that was the case, why would you go so much, to so much trouble to guard the tomb and to seal it and to make sure that the disciples didn't steal the body? Some of my favorites are the hallucination theory that's, uh, that, that was this ardent expectation of all these followers caused them to have this common hallucination that Jesus actually appeared and later on eats bread and fish by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and then, what, then you think, what about Thomas and what about the other 500 witnesses that occur over the next 40 days? And besides, you don't have mass hallucinations. You hardly have hallucinations at all. Then there's the... Uh, uh, Telepathy theory, but there's no physical resurrection, but God sent a divine telepathic message to the believers, making them think Jesus was alive. You know, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And, and I'm going to show you this uh, t- through my telepathy that Jesus was alive. Then you have the seance theory. They would have powerful spirit- spiritualists use dark powers to fool people. So you believe in telepathy and you believe in seances, but you won't believe in the resurrection. You know, it actually takes more faith to not believe the resurrection than to believe the resurrection. And then, of course, there's the old mistaken identity theory. Someone impersonating Jesus duped the disciples. You know, hello, I'm Jesus. <laughs> you know, they were with him for three years. And he knew stuff, and they knew stuff. It's just absurd. It's amazing the gymnastics that people will go around to keep from believing the facts that Jesus did raise from the dead. Because if he did, then he really is God. And if he's God, then he has a right to make demands on my life. And I don't want to do that because I don't want to keep, I want to keep my sin and keep my freedom. So we've got to come up with something else. Everybody hallucinated at the same time. It's actually it's actually kind of sad in many ways. Luke 16, 31 says, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Then we see here the risen Lord in verses 11 through 18. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked down to the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I did not know where they had laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I just get so emotional when I read this account. It's so, it's, it, you can just tell it's accurate. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine Mary making this up? Now, you can see her telling John, well, you know, I heard this voice, I thought it was the gardener. I'm so embarrassed. It was, it was Messiah, and I thought it was the gardener. I mean, you can just, you, the, the, the realism here is profound here. So evidently, after the, all, telling Peter and John, Mary returns to the tomb. She's by herself. She didn't cross the paths of the other disciples or the women. Uh, or She was unaware of what the other women had seen at this point in time. She's just overwhelmed with grief, and she's just full of righteous indignation that someone would take her Lord and they would steal his precious body. How creepy, how weird that would be. Uh, so she's standing outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, uh, these basically these angels start having a conversation with her. Now she's covered, she's 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 try, crying. She doesn't really understand who they are. What are they doing in there? She doesn't recognize them apparently as angels. But I love the description of the position of the angels. Don't let this be lost on you. Where were the angels? Jesus had been laying right there. His grave clothes were there. One was at the head, and one was at the feet. Go back to the description, if you will, of the Ark of the Covenant. And the very mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant had what on top of it? Two angels, two cherubim, one, at the, one on one side and one on the other, covering the mercy seat of Christ. I just think that's deliberate, folks. He was the propitiation of, uh, uh, for our sins. He was the satisfaction made to God. He served the same purpose as the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. That was a shadow of the reality that we see right now. And God, in his mercy, gives us two angels to where you actually almost have a, a living replica of the Ark of the Covenant. They were in white, which, of course, is the color of holiness. And part of the reason why this count is so encouraging and why this day is so happy for us is because what happened to Jesus, Christian, is going to happen to you as well. Revelation 19, 18 says this, And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to God and all you bondservants who hear him, and the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord your God is almighty and he reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride is made ready for herself. It was given to her, that is the church, to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage of the supper of the lamb. We'll be clothed just like those angels will be. The, the hope of the resurrection is just is seen throughout this entire passage. What a blessing it is. As they, as they come in there, in a sense, mimicking the Ark of the Covenant, and, and the whole thing is just flooded with celestial glory. But, but Mary can't get over this grief that Jesus' body is over with, so he doesn't understand. Then he hears the person outside the tomb, Jesus, saying, Woman, why are you weeping? And this is a little bit of a, a rebuke, in a sense, too. You should know what happened today. You should know the scriptures. You should know uh, what's going on. But he, she, she gets the composure and she explains because they've taken him away and do not know where they have laid him. And she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. She can't, she's, he's outside. Uh, she, her uh, eyes are covered with tears until he says, Mary. Mary. How many times had she heard that name? Mary. 
this is not some impersonal God. This is not the, the God of the Greeks who, whose great virtue is apatheia. They just don't really care about you. This is a God who knows you, who names you, who gave you salvation before the creation of the earth. So as soon as she hears that, she just, she just grabs him. No one's going to take you away from me again. But I love this. I love how she makes this offer. She says, give him to me. I will take him away. Now, how is Mary going to drag away the body of a 33-year-old adult man? This is where I'm glad she wasn't rational. Her love is just complaining. Whatever you, if you will just give me him, I will take him away. And she would have figured out a way to do it. So in love with Jesus, so overwhelmed with what's happening here. So she loses points for listening to Jesus' teaching, understanding the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But we are not going to throw stones, are we? I like what A.W. Pink says. Now, this devotion of hers puts to shame many of us who perhaps have greater intelligence and spiritual things, but who manifest far less love for Christ. Had a great conversation with a, with a, a Christian this, this past week. He was just a couple years younger than me. And it, we were talking about this principle of sanctification. And, and when I was a youngling, uh, I, when I would think about the principle of, of sanctification, I, I would often think um, I, will, I will say fewer stupid things. I will have uh, fewer impure thoughts. I will be more patient. You know, I will be kind of a, a, a white male southern version of Mother Teresa, you know, like, Hello, child, you know. This was my idea. And, 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 and that hasn't happened. <laughs> but I could tell you one thing. I have never loved the Lord more than I love him now. And I think that's what continued sanctification is. I think that's what it means to be more and more in the image of Christ. Because there's certain things, especially in regards to patient, and I think some of the gray hairs amongst, you, amongst us can tell you this. You can think, I'm going to be more patient the older I get. I'm going to be more patient. But your body hurts so much more. And you're kind of fed up with people so much more. It's actually harder to be more patient the older you get, right? But boy, you can love the Lord more than you love him now. You can love the Lord a whole lot more. And I think, I think growing up into the image of Christ is getting to that point where it's, you're all I need. You are all I need. If I lose absolutely everything, Lord, you are all I need. Y'all, let's go to school on Mary Magdalene. That's where she was. That's where she was, to the point she was willing to take his body from the gardener. And then she, she wouldn't let go of him. That's, isn't that sweet? He's like, Mary, I've got to go ascend to the Father. I'm not trying to make... I'm, I don't mean to come off uh, not respecting Jesus at all, but you can just see her just grabbing on and just holding on and just crying. And he's, he probably allowed it for a little while, but he's, you know, we, got, we, have, we have work to do. <laughs> you know, we got to kind of move on uh, from here. And then he gives this wonderful theological insight. He says, I'm going to go to your father. And then he, he says, go and tell the brethren. You realize the shift that's coming here? Uh, the Jews did not refer to God as father. They thought that was too familiar. They would think of he's the father of Israel. But on an individual level, that just didn't happen. But for the Christian, he is our father. Even if you're Southern, our daddy, Abba, father. That's how intimate. 
And we are brothers and sisters with one another. That's how intimate we are. Why? Because we've all been adopted into the same family of God. There is a profound shift here. The God that was up there is now the God that's inside here. The veil of the temple tore in two with that great earthquake in Matthew, and we had access to God because our sins have been cast behind his back. He doesn't bring them to mind anymore because the, he accepted the atoning sacrifice of his son. And the proof of that is today, the resurrection that happened. The other thing I love about this account with Mary Magdalene, she's Mary from Magdal there on the shores of Galilee here. Uh, she, goes, uh, she goes off announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave the account of what had happened. If you know something about Mary, Luke tells us that she had been possessed by seven demons. So one of the things that drove her to love Jesus was just an overwhelming sense of gratitude. She was a prisoner of Satan and she was set free. The other thing I love about this is how Christianity just turns the conventions of the culture on top of the head. Who is the first person to announce that Jesus was Messiah? The loose living woman at the Samaritan of the well. Who's the first person that, Jesus, that sees the resurrected uh, Jesus? A formerly demon-possessed woman. Women were considered so incredi- uh, uh, un- incredible at the time uh, that they were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. And yet, who does God choose to be the first person to reveal his son to? Women. What a profound blessing it is. I love how the values of the world are just nothing to uh, the values of God. So if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're saved, how can we help but be like Mary and tell others, I have seen the Lord. Father, we do bless you on this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you, God, for all the, of the resurrection means. We thank you, God, that it is absolutely essential uh, to our Christian faith and that while it's denied, made fun of, excused, we know that we worship a risen Lord. And we bless you for the truth of Holy Scripture in that regard and the experience of our own life and the power that we have seen from that truth. Abba, Father, We long to see you until that day. Help us to tell people we have seen the Lord.